Would you stand with me, please, as Rich comes this morning to read to us as we continue in our study of the Kings. Good morning. I'll be reading out of 1 Kings 3, 7 through 14. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too, num too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord is pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. And I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And this is the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 3, 7 through 14. And thank you, you may be seated. I came across this story just a couple of weeks ago, and it's very timely, I thought, for today about the USS Nimitz, this massive aircraft carrier that finally returned to its home base in Bremerton, Washington, after logging a record-breaking 99,000-mile journey. Hard to imagine all of the places that this massive ship has gone and all that it has seen. And of course, we look at something like this and we think of a picture of power and might, but I think of the journey and all the many miles that it has logged. And I also began thinking that for some of us, these last few weeks studying the king's it might have also felt like we've gone about 99,000 miles from Saul to David, barely broaching the topic of Solomon. And today, finally, we will come to the temple that will be built in Jerusalem. It, it has been a long journey this far already this summer. And believe me, if it feels like that for you, it definitely feels like that for me. And I have appreciated many of you who have said, boy, I've really been enjoying the study of the king so far. But, and I appreciate that, but I'll be honest and say that it's about to kill me. And, and I, I guess I could say that in a good way. But man, how do you condense dozens of chapters about kings like Saul and David and Solomon into just a few weeks? It's been a, a difficult journey this far. But this morning we press on. And we're going to begin where we left off last week. And you might remember that as we transitioned from David to Solomon, we, we talked about the fact that the temple is on the horizon. And I made this statement at the end of our time last Sunday, and, and it's where I want to begin today, that the promises God makes to David, which will come to pass during Solomon's kingship, they're promises for the future, and they're promises for the nations, which means for us. We're here today as a fulfillment of those promises that God made to David and through Solomon that, that led to the nations hearing the good news about who God is. 
But at the heart of all of those promises is worship. And the reason that's so important today is because with Solomon, we're going to see a king, a young man of God who begins very well. And if we imagine Solomon running a race, he starts strong and he runs strong in the middle. Solomon goes almost to the finish line running as, as well as anybody can run the race of life. It's his worship that's going to be his high point when the temple is built and, and it leads to worship of God in a way that's unparalleled any other time in the story of God's people to this point. But it's also worship that's going to be Solomon's low point. It, it's going to be near the end of his life when his worship is no longer directed to the one true God, but instead his worship, his allegiance, his loyalty is scattered all over the place. And what God was doing was about worship because that's what it's all about. That's what he, he wants. That's why he created us so that our hearts and our lives would worship him, that he would have all of us, our entire being. But also when that worship gets misdirected and it goes to places that it should not, it, it can lead to some dire consequences. And that's where things are going to end up for Solomon. And so today what I want us to hear as we fully move into Solomon's story is not just some teaching from the Bible that, that increases our knowledge about Solomon or about the kings. But I want you to open your heart today and I want you to think about how Solomon's story as we read it and as we are going to cruise through a lot of his story here just in this one Sunday. I want you to think about how Solomon's story speaks to your life and how it speaks to your leadership and how it speaks to your legacy. In particular, your legacy to your family, but also your, your legacy to your people, the people around you. Because so much of what we see in, in Solomon, it, it starts really good and it's strong at times in terms of life, leadership, and legacy, but, but it takes a disappointing turn at the end. So today it's about worship, and it's about our hearts and where we stand with God. But if there's one word we think about most often probably when we think of Solomon, it's the word wisdom. And that's where this passage begins. Imagine what you would ask for from God if you were given one request and God would grant that one request, whatever it was. It's a fun game to play, by the way, with children, to ask them that question. But if we're honest as adults, it's kind of fun to think about too. What would you ask God for if you could ask for only one thing Solomon when he became king most likely was between the age of 12 and 20 and what's interesting as we begin moving to the later stories of the kings is that initially the kings were appointed and anointed by a prophet so we watch the role of Samuel appointing and anointing Saul and then David as king but the shift begins to happen now where kings come through a bloodline and still today in the world where leadership is passed on through a bloodline or through a family whether it's a kingship whether it's the head of a company whether even in some cases it's a church when you pass leadership through the bloodline you sort of stuck with what you get sometimes the bloodline will give you a great leader and a wonderful person but sometimes the bloodline will produce somebody who's just rotten 
And that ends up being the case with many of the kings. In this case, the bloodline passes the kingship to Solomon, and he is a young, young man. When this great weight of responsibility of following King David lands on his shoulders. By the way, when we get later on into the stories of the kings, Solomon is not the youngest one to receive the kingship through the bloodline. We'll meet Joash, who was seven years old when he became king, and Josiah, who was eight. The bloodline is an interesting way to pass along leadership. But as we've said, Solomon starts strong. He has this opportunity to ask for something from God. And there's humility and there's an understanding, it seems to be, of this great responsibility that he has. And he says, God, how can I possibly carry out this incredible responsibility without your help? So Solomon prays, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong because these people you've given me are difficult. And who can govern your people without your help? Solomon asks for wisdom and discernment, and God is pleased with his request. When I think about the one thing I might ask for from God if I was given that opportunity, boy, I'll tell you what, wisdom and discernment sound pretty good in this day and age. As I look back over this last year and a half, boy, I've needed wisdom and discernment probably more than any other time in my life and ministry. As I think about what it means to be a parent raising children in this culture and in these times wisdom and discernment sounds great doesn't it sound great that god would give us wisdom and discernment as a gift from him the kind of wisdom as the book of james describes that comes directly from god that in the midst of all the noise around us and all the messages we are constantly being bombarded with that we have to try to to navigate through that god himself would give us wisdom and discernment. Maybe that would be a good prayer for each and every one of us to pray today. Solomon asks for wisdom and discernment to be able to distinguish between right and wrong, and God is pleased. And I hear in Solomon's prayer a connection to his father's dying words. When David passed away as right before he went to be with the Lord, David reminded Solomon with these words of the promise that God had made to their family. He said, If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before God with all their heart and soul, God has promised us you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Wisdom and discernment come from God. And there's that if-then language. If you walk faithfully with me if your children and your children's children walk faithfully with me then good things are going to happen but you also hear it implicitly as god says explicitly in other places if you fail to walk faithfully with me if your children and their hearts are turned away from me there will be consequences the results of what happened in your lives will be directly affected by whether or not you walk faithfully with me. So what God was asking for was not just empty words from Solomon and from the people of God, but instead, and listen to me, this is an important word, that their character would be shaped by their relationship with God. 
And I believe as we see in the next part of this text it, that God makes clear the character that he displays in himself is the character that he expects from his people. God has set a very high standard for us the kind of character that we would have, the kind of people that we would be, that we would look to him as our example and that he would be our goal, that, that we would never be settled, we would never be content until we perfectly reflect who God is in the character of our own lives. And yes, that is a tall order. But thankfully, God has given us the perfect example the living Christ who put on the flesh of a human being who had human blood pumping through his veins that whenever we, we know we're going to fall short all we need to do is look to the example of Jesus Christ and say that's how we are to live that's the kind of people we're supposed to be the kind of character that God displays in himself and, and displayed through Jesus Christ that is the kind of character that God expects from his people. But the reality is, we are often like the people of Israel. Rather than holding up God as our example, rather than saying he is the only king worth following 100%, we envy the wealth and the power and the success that we see around us. The people of Israel were so envious of the nations around them. They wanted their kind of wealth. They wanted their kind of power. Samuel was already told, these people are going to reject me, God, as their king. In the same way, we, even as Christians, can be guilty of backwards thinking, of seeking wealth and power above righteousness and faithfulness to God. After all, we are Americans and we love our celebrities. And even in the church, sometimes we fall into that trap of being envious of the things that people have and the fame that comes along with it. We too often exalt the proud, the rich, and the powerful while ignoring or even demeaning the humble, the poor, and the persecuted. And you know, one thing that really breaks my heart in the American church right now seems to be in so many places that we have lost empathy for for the suffering that we see around us we've lost empathy for for people who are genuinely hurting and suffering a christ-like empathy that god would say if you're going to display my character you need to have that kind of christ-like love and empathy that's been demonstrated for you and yet so often we can fall into that other trap of having no compassion whatsoever for the most poor, the most vulnerable, in some cases, who are right on our doorstep. And the opportunity is, is there for us to love and to minister to them. And we forget that when we look at how blessed we are, in many cases, how good we have it, but for the grace of God, we could easily be on the other end of that spectrum. God has blessed us not because we deserve it, not because we're so much better than those people who are suffering or struggling when we're not. It's only because of God's grace that we can look at our lives and say they're as good as they are. And you've probably had this experience as I have. You, you minister among people who are vulnerable, are poor at the moment, and you find just as much righteousness and faithfulness to God in that setting as anywhere else. 
it's not because of who we are that we're blessed but God through his grace has chosen to bless us as he has and so he expects for from us and for us that we would reflect his character as we go out into the world and live out the blessed lives we have and the most common description of God's character in the Bible is also a description that should describe us you can find this in Exodus numbers Nehemiah Psalms Joel even the prophet Jonah uses these words as he throws them back at God as an accusation the Lord the Lord our God compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness the most common description of God in all the Bible and in the same way God says in what for some of you may be one of your favorite verses in all the Bible God expects us to demonstrate that same character he has shown you O mortal O human being what is good what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God Micah 6 8 is not about lip service but these are action words what does God require of us that the character he displays in himself is the same character that we display that we act justly that we love mercifully and that we walk humbly with our God godly character leads to faithfulness and that faithfulness is contagious and again as we we think through Solomon's story for for the bulk of his kingship we see that godly character and we see that faithfulness and it is contagious as we move on to verses 12 and 13 Solomon's faithfulness and God's faithfulness to his people leads to more faithfulness and God was pleased with Solomon's request so much so that that everything about Solomon's wisdom and his prominence and the kingdom that God placed under his charge continued to grow, continued to expand. God said, yes, I, I will give you a discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And in terms of wisdom and discernment, at least for a time, Solomon had it to a measure that no other human being has ever had. Look at what 1 Kings 4 says, the next chapter. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was even wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrahite, and wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. Now you might ask these random names. Do I know who all four of these people are? Well, of course I do. Of course I know who all four of them are. Now if you were to ask me, did I know who all four of them are before I was preparing for this message? Let's move on. But actually, we can find a little bit out about these four for those of you who like the rest of the story. Ethan the Ezraite and, and Haman, not to be confused with He-Man if you grew up in my era of watching cartoons. Ethan and Heman, they were authors of Psalms. Ethan wrote Psalm 89. Heman wrote Psalm 88. But all of these are called the sons of Mahol, who's also in 1 Chronicles 2 called Zerah. 
So you add Calcol and you add Darda. These were wise musicians, poets from Judah. Not many details. But here's a funny little note on this story. So in 1 Chronicles 2, we find out there's a fifth son. His name is Zimri. But for whatever reason, Zimri, brother Zimri, he's not left on to the list of the wise brothers. So four out of five apparently did pretty well, had a good reputation. Old Zimri gets left out. But God says about Solomon, his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He was known as being wiser than even the wisest people of Israel before him. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. Some of them are in our Bible. His songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. He was a Renaissance man before there were Renaissance men. And from all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Probably the most famous story of Solomon's wise decisions and, and, and having to make judgments in terms of justice comes in the chapter that we read first, 1 Kings 3. Right after what we read, there's the story of the two women who, who are arguing over who should be able to keep the baby. And because we have children in the room, I won't go into all the details of the story. Many of you know it, but you can read it on your own time. But I came across a story that I just have to share because it reminds me of the details of Solomon's wise judgment. So this story, some of you may have seen it, comes from Wales. And here are two neighbors who share a tree that, that hangs over both of their properties. This tree's been there for years, but recently the two neighbors got into a fight about the tree. The neighbor on the left said, I, I love the tree, I'm the one who maintains it, so I want to keep it at, at all costs. But the neighbor on the right said, that tree is now filled with birds. And they are noisy and they're making a mess everywhere. So they actually took this to court. No decision was made. They took it to the city. The city made no decision, no judgment on their behalf. And so the neighbor on the right decided just to take matters into his own hands. Even worse when you think about Solomon's story. But God gave Solomon this great wisdom and if you remember in the language that God used, it was also so that he would pursue justice. And one of the things that we're certainly going to see in the stories of the kings is that God expects, because he is a just God, he expects his leaders and his people to be those who stand for justice and demand it. And yet we're going to find that many of the kings, not only do they not stand for justice, but they act in unjust ways and they exploit and they take advantage of for their own benefit and for their own power. But with Solomon, God said, just as I am just, I want you to seek justice on my behalf. This was important to the prophets as well, a theme of the period of the kings. But God blessed Solomon also, along with his wisdom, with great wealth and honor. He said, moreover, I, I will give you what you've not asked for and in your lifetime, you will have no equals among the kings of the world. Here's what 1 Kings 10 says. Solomon, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God put in his heart. And year after year, the rich get richer, right? Everyone who came brought him a gift. 
articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, and spices, and horses and mules. Solomon's faithfulness was rewarded by God. And that faithfulness led to more faithfulness among the people. And listen, because this is so important in terms of of those words, leadership and legacy. God was blessing Solomon not just for himself, but for the good of his family and for the good of his people, the people of God in Israel. But ultimately, he had to make a decision. And the last verse that we read, the same kind of decision that God had laid before his people before. Solomon, whom will you serve? And it is his worship, as we began this morning, that affects his future. Again, the promises that God makes to David, which will come to pass during Solomon's kingship, are promises for the future, promises for the nations, which includes us, but at the heart of those promises is worship. For a time, Solomon's wisdom and wealth and leadership led to, as we've said, unparalleled worship among God's people. Solomon was walking in obedience to the Lord. He was keeping his decrees and his commandments. He was being blessed with a long life and a legacy of worship of the one true God. And the high point of Solomon's kingship, it's not his wealth. It's not all the women who fell in love with him. It's not his great armies or his fleets of ships or his palace. It wasn't even his wisdom that was the high point. It was the moment when God used Solomon to fulfill the promises he made to David and to his people and to build the first temple in Jerusalem. And there are some amazing accounts if you look not only to what's written here in 1 Kings and the chapters we've read and beyond, but in 2 Chronicles chapters 5, 6, and 7, the prayers of Solomon are unbelievable. He is trusting God for the future. He is committing every part of his kingdom into God's hands. And when the temple is completed and when the temple is dedicated, God's presence shows up in this place like his people had never seen before. Solomon completes his prayer of dedication and the glory of the Lord in his, and his presence fills up that place in such a way that it was like a cloud. The glory of God was thick inside the temple and the priests had brought offerings and put them on the altar. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes those offerings. And God's presence And the fire of God's presence is so powerful in that place that the priests have to leave lest they lose their lives. And here's what the people pray in 2 Chronicles 7, 3. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever this is a reaffirmation of the covenant they use the word chesed here which means god's covenant love god had made a vow to his people i'm gonna love you like a husband loves his wife i'm gonna show you kindness and enduring love that will never end and god said to his people i want the same thing in return i want a covenant love a covenant relationship with you that no matter what happens i will always be your god And you will always say that you are my people. 
Solomon prayed. He dedicated all of these things to the Lord. The temple was built. Worship happened. But Solomon still wrestled with this question, whom will you serve? And though he started the race well and he ran strong in the middle, he was leading the pack for a time. He did not finish well. He did not finish faithfully as he began. And it was his unfaithful worship that pulled he and the people of God away. And here's what 1 Kings 11 says. We, we actually read this a few weeks ago as a part of another message, but it's important to drive home why it is that Solomon didn't finish well. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. He followed, and this is not a good list, he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so, and listen to these words. As we go through the stories of the kings, every king's going to be given a, a, a moniker. Either this king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and this king, or this king did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Solomon's going to finish with the latter. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he did not follow the Lord completely as, his, as David, his father, had done. I think one of the most important applications we can take away from the way Solomon finished is to remember that the mind and the heart are two different things. Solomon grew in his wisdom. Solomon grew in his knowledge. For a time, a long period of time, the Lord also had his heart. But there came a time where Solomon turned his wisdom and his knowledge away from serving God and away from leading God's people well. And all that wisdom and knowledge was used for self. And it was used to gain wealth. And it was used to gain power. And ultimately, then he turned that wisdom and knowledge to the false gods of the nations, some of the worst gods who demand the worst, most detestable practices you'll ever find. They had his heart, not God. A reminder again, the mind and the heart are two different things. And it is altogether possible for the mind to grow in knowledge about God, but for the heart to not belong to God. And that's where Solomon's race is going to finish. Solomon forgot that even his wisdom was a gift from God. And when we fall into that trap of no longer seeing all of the blessings in our lives and the wisdom and discernment that we have as a gift from God, then we too easily take for granted who he is and all that he's done for us. If you walk in obedience to me, if you keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you life. But Solomon, even after having experienced that, he left it. He put it aside. And remember his father David, he had a stretch where God didn't have his heart for a time either. But David did what Solomon apparently did not. He repented. He said to God, I'm, I'm sorry. I confess where I've been wrong. I confess where my heart has gone after other things and has been unfaithful to you. And God, David prayed, create in me a clean heart, 
a new heart. Make me an entirely new person. And I would say to you today, because we're not here just to talk about Solomon, we haven't been singing songs about Solomon or David today. The greatest gift that God has given any of us, it's not wisdom and discernment, it's not the many blessings in our lives, it's not even our family. The greatest gift that God has given us is salvation in Jesus Christ. And today, if our hearts are anywhere else, if anything else on this earth or any other idea or any other attitude, if anything or anyone else has our heart besides God, we are serving and worshiping idols. And the same call and commission that, that David heard is, is ours. God, would you create in me a clean heart today? The message of salvation in Jesus Christ is a message of, of God's covenant love. It's through the covenant relationship that God established through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can receive forgiveness. That we can say to God, yes, I've done wrong. I've certainly sinned against you. That we can say to God, not only do I want to be forgiven, but I also want to repent. I want to turn away from the idolatrous nature of my heart and the sinful, unfaithful life I've been living, and I want to turn to you, God, and I want to follow you with every fiber of my being. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we can receive forgiveness, but listen, we also receive a new life. The mind and the heart are two very different things. But the most important question that any of us can answer today is, does God have my whole heart? Because it's about worship. And God demands, expects from every single one of us that he and he alone will receive all of our worship because he and he alone is worthy of our worship. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we close today. And, and I'm going to close us in a different way than we normally do. I'm going to give us a, a directed time of prayer. And this is going to take just about two minutes. So I don't want you to take this for granted, but really, genuinely, place yourself in a posture where your heart is open and your hands are open. And that you would say to God, not out of your mind, but out of your heart, these prayers, these words that are words of worship and words of commitment and faithfulness. So as you pray with me first, praise God. Praise Him because He is good and His love endures forever. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank God for your life for the many blessings that he's given you and thank him for Jesus Christ above all. Confess to God. Pray, my, God, my heart has not always been fully devoted to you as the Lord my God and I too have gone after useless things. Ask God for a discerning heart to distinguish between right and wrong. And finally, commit to God in a covenant relationship of love and a faithfulness in character that's demonstrated through action.
Commit to God that you will walk in obedience to him. That you will keep his decrees and his commandments. That you might have life in his name.